Well, welcome to the Oasis. We're glad you're here this morning. We're going to continue our series in the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles or your phones and you want to follow along, 1 Peter chapter 1. By the way, while I'm mentioning the Bible, I'll mention this. I'll save a couple of other announcements till the end. So many of you have asked lately about what translation I speak from uh, or wanting to get a net Bible. That's what this is. It's the net Bible, the New English Translation. We're going to be placing an order uh, to Bible.org for some net Bibles. There's three different versions of them. Um, and there's order forms back there on the uh, greeters uh, table back out there in the lobby. Um, so if you'd be interested, look over maybe which one. They have a study edition. They have a, a compact edition. And then they have a reader's edition. But it's hardback. You cannot not get the leather anymore in that. And before we place the order, we're going to need your money up front. So just a reminder about that. But if you'd like to look at some net Bibles um, or have one yourself, since that's what I use here at the Oasis, uh, we'll be placing an order in a, in a little while for that. So we're talking here in this great New Testament book that Peter, sort of the leader of the disciples, one who was as close to Jesus Christ on earth as any other, uh, and he wants to talk to us in this letter about the salvation of our souls. And it's more than just that moment in time where I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior and my sins are forgiven and I enter into a new relationship with God as we've sung about through the blood of Jesus Christ and I now have and I now possess eternal life. That's awesome. That's great. But salvation is not just that moment in time. It is also the result of it is sort of this lifetime process of working out my salvation, if you will, or understanding my soul, who God created me to be, because that's really what our soul is. It is our God identity, which is why back in chapter 1, verse 9, if you'll just take your eyes back there for a moment, he talks about attaining the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. We don't attain salvation. We simply believe in Jesus Christ. You don't work for your salvation. But once we are saved, in order to discover, embrace, and live out who God created us to be, which is what our soul is, that is a lifetime process. And it starts with the new birth. It starts with being born again, but it doesn't end there, which is why salvation is just the beginning. It is not the end of something. It is realizing who we are as a soul, who God made us to be. Now, last week then, in verse 22 of chapter 1, we saw that after we are born again, after we enter into this relationship with Jesus Christ and we start on this journey of discovering and embracing and living out who God created us to be, the process of that is through our obedience. Every step of obedience is another step towards really finding out who we are. So that's why he says in verse 22, you have purified your souls, you have prioritized 
your God identity by obeying the truth. Now today, we want to talk about those priorities, and Peter wants to share with us a few of the priorities of a soul set free, because last week we talked about God wanting to bring us into to a, a place where our soul is literally set free in him. As Jesus said, you'll know the Son, the Son will set you free. <clears throat> he also says you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. <clears throat> so he wants us to be free in who he created us to be. And again, starts with the new birth, continues with obedience, but then we've also got to make sure that we have the right priorities in our life to truly, again, keep going down that road of discovering, of embracing, of living out who God wants us to be. Not who we want to be, not who others want us to be, not, you know, living according to the pressure and manipulation and coercion of others, and again, even maybe what we think, but truly trusting who God made us to be. And God made each of us with a soul, with a God identity that he placed within us. And so after you and I come to believe in Jesus as our Savior, our whole lifetime then is spent working that out and, and, and growing a little bit more sure each and every day of who we are in Christ and who God wants us to be. It's so important. And I just want to emphasize that because so many Christians I run into, they don't know their identity. They know they're a Christian. They know their sins are forgiven and they're on their way to heaven and they have eternal life. But beyond that, what role, what, what purpose, uh, what, what you know, position, what, what did, does God want them to do here and now? What does he want them to be focused on? What should our responsibility be? No idea. It, many Christians just grope for that. And part of it is we just need to be obedient to the things that we already know we need to be doing. And through our obedience, it will become clearer and clearer what our soul is all about. So, beginning in chapter 1, verse 23, Peter says, the first priority of a soul set free should be the Word of God. Notice what Peter writes, beginning in chapter 1, verse 23. You have been born anew, not from perishable, but from imperishable seed, through the living and enduring Word of God, for all flesh is like grass. In all its glory, like the flower of the grass, the grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was proclaimed to you. So get rid of all evil and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander and yearn like newborn infants for pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up to salvation if you have experienced the Lord's kindness. Peter is saying, folks, as God's people, our, one of our priorities of our life should be the Word of God. That 
It should be something that we crave and that we desire and not a desire or a craving that comes externally from outside of us, from others, but something that literally is born within our own hearts, that we have a heart for the Word of God. David wrote over and over again in the Psalms, Oh, Lord, how I love your law, how I love your Word, how I want to meditate on it day and night how it is something that just consumes me and how I want to saturate my mind and heart with it. I, I just want to, in a sense, sink into it and settle into it. And this is what Peter is saying. He's reminding us, first of all, of the power of the Word of God. He says, all of us here who are Christians, we were born again through the living and enduring Word of God. If God's Word is powerful enough to take us from living in darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of God, into marvelous light, that's power. Amen. And if we can trust God's word to take us out of darkness into light, in fact, he mentions that even in verse 9 of chapter 2. He says, we are a people of God who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. How did that transference take place? Through the living and enduring word of God. And we need to trust that word. If, it, if we trusted it enough to save us, if we trusted it enough to, to build, you know, and, and have a relationship with God, then what else can we not trust it for, you see? It is sufficient. It is reliable. It is dependable. It is seed, he says, which is why then God asks us as his people to trust it enough to scatter it and to share it and, and to see how that seed can then begin to work in people's lives. Listen, we can't change people's hearts. We don't have the power as human beings to be able to do that. But God's word can do that. And so God asks us as his people, get my word out, share my word, trust, have faith enough in my word that it is living, it is powerful. And then Peter goes on to say, it's enduring. It will sustain us because it will last. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The word of God will endure. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Talk about stability. Talk about settledness. Talk about surety. Live our lives on the foundation of this word, the word of God. He says, look, our flesh is like grass. It's going to come and go. Even if we live to, to a full life here on earth, it's, what, 80-some years? God's word is eternal. And, and if you and I want to really build our life on the solid rock, then not only build it on the living word, Jesus Christ, but on his written word as well. The word of the Lord will endure forever. And he says, this is the word that was proclaimed to you. It changed your life, right? You and I, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, that we are living testimonies that this word works. It has power. It changes hearts. It changes minds. It changes lives. So we should make it a priority because if you and I are going to discover who God created us to be, we cannot do it apart from his word. We must be men and women of the word of God. We've got to know his word. Now, it's more than just, though, an analytical, intellectual head knowledge. As I have encourage myself with for years, God did not give us the Bible for information, but for transformation. Amen. 
And we as Christians, especially at a church like the Oasis, where we try to emphasize the Word and where we have Bible studies and people are in the Word in small groups and stuff like that, it's very easy for us as Christians to know the Word up here, but to never let it change the way we live and to truly change our hearts. You see, as I've even been teaching on Wednesday night through our study in the book of Acts, we can be reminded that so many people, even from the past, can know in a sense the head of God, but not really know the heart of God and miss what God really meant in his word or what he intended in his word. I mean, think about the Jewish people. Think about someone like Saul that we just saw converted on Wednesday night in Acts chapter 9. Here was a man, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. No one knew in his head the Old Testament scriptures from Genesis to Malachi like Saul of Tarsus did. He was trained in the Old Testament. He could have quoted verses better than any of us could have ever quoted. He would have known the addresses of verses in the Old Testament. He would have known every Bible character in the Old Testament, every king, every prophet, every priest. But he missed who the Messiah was to be. He missed that, that the whole Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ being the Messiah. He didn't understand that. He thought Jesus was a blasphemer, you see. So, in a sense, he understood the head of God, the, the mind of God, but missed the total heart of God and the intent of God in his word. And you and I have to be careful that as we learn the word of God, that we understand the heart of God in it as much as we do the head of God, and that we don't just fill our heads with information about God or about his word, but we let it truly transform us and change us. Amen. That's the intent of the word of God. If you and I come to church every week or we're in Bible studies every week and we continue to grow in our understanding of the Word of God, but it doesn't change who we are at our core, then we're not letting the Word of God do what its, its real purpose was to do. God wants to change us through His Word, which is why then He says in chapter 2, verse 1, get rid of all these things <clears throat> that taints, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> it's that time of year, allergies, things are starting to pop out there, right? He wants us to get rid, very intentionally, of things that will dampen, please listen, that will dampen our appetite for the Word of God. See, because he goes on to talk about how we should yearn like newborn infants for the pure spiritual milk, that, that it, we should look at it as nourishment, in a sense, as a meal, and he's saying these kind of attitudes, if we allow them to exist in our lives, they will, they will ruin our appetite for the word of God. You see, again, because God wants his word to penetrate our heart, which means then that the soil of our heart, which is why Jesus talked a lot in parables about our heart and the soil of, soil of our heart and how the seed of the word of God could be scattered, but sometimes it just sits on the surface. It doesn't penetrate because our heart is so hard. Sometimes it goes down a little bit, but then it's snatched away, and, and the, the cares of this life and all of these things begin to sort of choke it out. So Peter is saying, you and I have to make sure that we maintain a, a, 
appetite, if you will, for the Word of God, and that we're not allowing things to creep into our lives that could somehow choke out or dampen our craving, our desire for the Word of God, you see, to allow our heart to have that, thank you, thank you, thank you, to allow our heart to be in a place where when we hear the Word, when we read the Word, when we're looking at the Word, meditating on the Word, thinking about the Word, that it penetrates our heart and gets down to our heart. And then he says this, and yearn. Hmm. It's describing a strong desire, crave. Let me ask you a convicting, sobering question today. Again, just between you and God. Do you have that kind of strong desire for God's word in your life? I mean, to where it's like if you go a day without somehow connecting to the word of God, you're sort of bothered by it. You're just not yourself because you so want it, because you understand you so need it, that it's, it's as David writes, it's my necessary food every day. I can't wait to get into the Word of God. And here's the thing, folks. I, I know our time is precious and everyone is busy today. You don't have to sit there, you know, for hours and hours. But just build a discipline of spending even a few minutes at the beginning of your day and maybe at the end of your day or during your lunch hour, just a few minutes. Just touching in and grabbing a hold of and connecting to the Word of God. That's part of that yearning. And I love where he says, you and I all know what babies are like. When they're hungry, man, there's nothing that's going to stop them from continuing to cry or scream until they get fed. Oh, that we as Christians would be that, you know, strongly desirous of God's word that instead of crying that the preacher went a little bit too long, <laughs> that people were literally flocking to churches like ours because they couldn't wait to get more of God's word. So that, and here's the purpose statement. Again, anytime you see the words usually so that in the Bible, it's describing either a result or a purpose of God behind it. So that by it, you and I may grow up to salvation. See, again, God doesn't want us to stay at the level we are when we become a Christian. God says you need to discover who I created you to be and you need to grow up because I don't want you to remain an infant. Paul even said, he said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things and I started to act like an adult. And here he's talking spiritually to the Corinthians. He's not talking physically. And the same thing is true spiritually. How sad would it be if, you know, a 57-year-old was still, you know, sucking his thumb and, and still had his blankie in his hand up here and, you know, still was doing some pretty childish things. And yet we as Christians, we can spend years in our salvation and because we don't have the right priorities in our life, we never really grow up spiritually and even emotionally. And many of the things we do are rather childish because we're not becoming the spiritual adults, the, the, the spiritually mature people that God intended for his people to be. Amen. 
That's why at the Oasis, we will have these priorities because we want to be people that continually are growing up and becoming more and more of what God created us to be. And then I love this in verse 3, if you've experienced the Lord's kindness. And he's simply saying, once you've feasted at the Lord's table, why would you ever want to feast at any other table? Realizing that God even can put a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, and it's the king's table. Why would I ever? That's why David writes, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And once you and I have tasted the banquet table of God that he spreads out before us every day in his word, why would we not want to feast at his table? See, God has provided a king's feast for us every day. And God is simply saying, will you feast with me every day? Will you join me at my table and partake of the delicacies of my word that I want to give you, the treasures that will build you up, that will grow you up, that will allow you to discover and embrace and live out who I created you to be. I had a purpose and plan for you when I created you. I want you to find out what that is and live that out, that purpose on this earth. But that has to come through the word of God. Secondly, the second priority of God's people is the worship of God, beginning in verse 4. Please follow along as I read these verses. So as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men but chosen and priceless in God's sight, you yourselves corporately now, he's not talking to individuals now, he's talking to us as a body. You yourselves as living stones are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in Scripture, look, I lay in Zion a stone, a chosen and priceless cornerstone, and whoever believes in him will never be put to shame. So you who believe see his value, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stumbling stone and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word and they are destined to do. This passage is all about the worship of God because worshiping God starts with our view of God. It is acknowledging his worth, his value. And notice here, several times Peter says, Many people rejected Jesus. They did not see his worth and value. They did not see him for who he was, the very son of God, the Messiah. They rejected him, which is why they crucified him. But he says, in contrast, Jesus was priceless in God's sight. And then in verse 7, he says, if you believe you've seen his value... You know his worth, and that's where worship starts, where you and I, even as individuals, acknowledge the worth and value, the treasure that Jesus Christ is. If you and I do not truly value Jesus, then we will not worship him. Or if we do worship him, it will be external worship. It will not be worship from a heart that is set free, from a heart that truly understands how much we have in Jesus Christ, what he has done for us that we've sung about already this morning. And then I love this. He says, look, Jesus was a living stone. He was a rock. That there, was, there was someone that we could build a foundation on. Firm, stable, secure. That's what a rock is. But he says, it wasn't a dead rock. He's a living stone. 
He has life within himself. And he can grant life to others. And, and, and we can see this life that he had coming out of him every day that he lived on this earth. But then, amazingly, God, through Peter, says to his people, you yourselves are also living stones that we, through our relationship with Jesus Christ, begin to take on his identity. And we become now building blocks in a sense, in his temple that he wants to build here on earth that is fleshed out in all of these local churches, just like the oasis. And he's saying to all of us, will you be part of my worship by being a building block in this temple that now I'm building? Because you all, I want to build all of you up as a spiritual house, you see. That's how you and I should look at each other. That each of us is a building block, a living stone that God wants to place into a local church somewhere so that these local churches of his can be reflections of him and can come together to worship him and show the world his value and worth in our lives. That we think enough of him to set aside our time on Sunday to come together and worship him. This is what the church is, the ecclesia of God, called out from our individual private homes and dwelling places and coming together as one as God's people and saying to each other and to the world, we believe of his worth and value. We believe he is preeminent. He's the son of God. He's the Messiah. And we will spend our time in worshiping him, Amen. you see. in worshiping him. Let me give you this illustration, too, because you'll see it here. God wants to place us as living stones, as building blocks into these local churches. And as we grow closer to him, think of God being at the top of a triangle. As you and I, as God's people, grow closer to him, guess what else happens? We grow closer to each other. That's how God meant it to be. You see, a Christian who says, I can grow closer to God, but I don't have to grow closer to God's people, that's not biblical. Remember what he's saying here. God wants to build us corporately into a spiritual house so that that block is laid next to that living stone, to that block, and then that, so that when I come together, I know which block is next to me. And I don't have different blocks next to me all the time. Now, I'm not talking about in the auditorium, obviously. That, I'm just talking about being able to count on each other. That's why it's crazy to me, too, in the mentality today of Christians where it's like every couple months they just sort of go from local church to local church to local church. And I realize there's seasons where we're trying to figure out where God wants to plant us and where he wants to settle us. But my goodness, at some point, get settled somewhere and be that stone that God can place in his building so that you can begin to build relationships not only with God but with each other and become that spiritual house of worship a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ keep your finger in first Peter and go back with me for just a second to Hebrews 
Since my son already took us to Hebrews this morning, let's go back there to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and 16. Through him, Jesus Christ, and let us corporately, again, plural here, not just individuals, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, acknowledging his name. And do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. These are the sacrifices of God's people today as we worship him. If we truly believe his value, we will praise him. We will seek to do good and share what we have because God is pleased with that kind of worship, the kind of worship that Peter's talking about here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. You see... Worshiping God should be a priority, but not just individual worship, community worship, corporate worship. This is what Peter's talking about here. So if my soul is going to be set free and I'm going to learn and discover who God created me to be, to embrace it, to want what God wants for me, and to live it out, I need to have the priority of the Word of God in my life. I need to have the priority of worship in my life, not only individual worship, but community worship, worshiping with other believers, other living stones that are set in his building that God has placed there next to me. But then finally, I need to have a priority of the witness of God in my life. Look at verse 9, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, where Peter then comes to sort of the crescendo of of this thought and he says but you you God's people you are a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people of his own so that there's a purpose again so that you and I may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light you were once not a people but now you are God's people You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. Wow. He's saying, do we as God's people not realize how blessed we are? We as God's people, we're not better than others. We're just simply more blessed than others. And we need to acknowledge and begin to recognize the blessing of God upon us mere mortal human beings. That the King of kings and Lord of lords has seen fit to share through Jesus Christ his glory with us and that he has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what abundant resources and blessings are ours, which is why over and over again he says, do you not realize God chose you? He said, I want you. In a day and an age where people are yearning for acceptance, God's already said, I accept you in my beloved Jesus Christ. Come. He says, you're a royal priesthood. Do you realize as New Testament Christians that we are servant kings and queens of the Most High? We are royalty in God's eyes. And we should carry ourselves as prince Princes and princesses of God every day, serving him in that respect. 
a holy nation of people, a people of his own. But again, so that you and I may proclaim the virtues of him. That's witness. You see, and I think that's why this order is so important. The more you and I make the word of God a priority in our life and the worship of God a priority in our life, the more we will be an effective witness for God. Because how can I proclaim him that I don't know? How can I proclaim him that I don't walk with every day and, and I, I, don't, I don't fellowship with, I, I don't come to him? In fact, if you go back real quickly to the beginning of verse 4, that phrase, so as you come to him, is not talking about coming to Christ in salvation. It's talking about coming to Christ in intimate communion and fellowship with him continually, every day, coming to him, being with him, drawing near. I love that verse in James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And there's never been a human being that wanted, that had a heart's desire to get closer and nearer to God, that God said, nope. <laughs> no, God's just the opposite. God, God way more wants us to get closer to him than we want to get close most of the time. God's like, because the way's already been opened through the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Come on, come, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Come continually so that you may proclaim who I am to others. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, and I don't want you to start shutting me off yet, but next week, we're going to jump off on this whole witnessing thing, and we're going to talk about the principles of, of a powerful witness. What, what does that look like in my life? How do I live for the Lord's sake? How, how, do, how do people see God in me? That's where Peter's going to go next week. But before we end today, let's go back to that word proclaim. Do you know one of the synonyms that we could use for that word in our English language would be the word advertise? Living a life that advertises God in a positive way. Because the Bible teaches many Christians can, in a sense, live in such a way that we actually can turn people off to God, turn people off to the Bible, turn people off to church, to where they say, I don't want anything to do with that kind of God or that kind of church or that at all. I, I don't want that at all. God says, but if my people truly have been transformed by my word and by worshiping me, they will come to a place in their life where they can live even in the world in such a way where the world might not always embrace who we are and what we believe, but where we might have at least some respect and where for some people, not for all, because even Jesus didn't win everybody, did he? <clears throat> where we live in such a way that it's appealing, it's attractive to people. That in a sense, we live in such a way as Christians that people want 
what kind of life we have through Jesus. That's what he's talking about when he says, when you and I come to a place in our life where we begin to understand who God created us to be and who we are in God, we can proclaim him. And we can be the most positive advertisement for God that he has on earth, which is what God wants his church to be. He wants it to be a place where our priority is the word of God, where our priority is the worship of God. And then through our word and through our worship, we can go out into our communities and to our workplaces, to our schools, to wherever we go and to everyone we meet. And we can be a living, positive advertisement for God, proclaiming not our excellencies and our virtues, but his virtues and his excellencies so that people see God in us. In fact, I know it's crazy, it's counterintuitive to everything the world tells us, but a lot of what God says is counterintuitive and crazy to the way the world thinks, right? Because Jesus said, if you want to save your life, you do what? You lose it. You know, you want to gain, you give, you know, type of thing. So the way you and I truly find ourselves the way you, you and I truly discover ourselves and have a secure self-identity is by sinking ourselves into God. The, the more you and I immerse ourselves in God and make our lives about God, the more we actually will find ourselves. See, we, we think just the opposite, and the world says, oh, just make it about you. Just do everything for you. Forget God. Forget everybody else. Just live for you. That's, that's how you find you. And our creator says just the opposite. I should know. I made you. I created you. If you believe that I created you, then you've got to trust me. The way you find you is to immerse yourself in me, in my word, in my worship and in witnessing for me. Will we, as a church, will we embrace these priorities? Will we say, as a church, we want to continue to make the word of God a priority here? Second, we want to make the worship of God a priority here so that we corporately, as a community of believers, can be a group of people that proclaim, that shout out, that advertise, that herald, that exclaim the virtues of God everywhere we go to everyone we meet. Could we stand, please, in prayer? God, I pray today that our hearts have been in a place where your word and your worship can penetrate and can bring about the transformation and the changes, Lord, that you want to bring about in our lives. And even in the life of our church, as I shared a couple weeks ago during a message, I felt God waking me up in the middle of the night one night 
and saying, pastor of this church, you need to begin to pray and struggle over and fight for the soul of this church as well. Because Satan and and so many other forces want to keep this church, like many other churches, from becoming who God wants this church to be. Just as we can fail to become as individuals who God wants us to be. And I pray that in moments like this, not only will we make some commitments and maybe even some, some decisions that we need to make individually, but that we as a church will come together and link arms and lock arms and say, we will be the people of God that God wanted us to be when he brought us together that we will be a people of the word, that we will be a people of worship, and that we will be a people who witnesses for God everywhere to everyone. And even now, in these few moments, we have with each other a chance to declare you out in this auditorium today, to proclaim who you are to us, God, to worship you and to witness for you, God, as we proclaim your virtues. So in this song, Lord, may your people sing out from the heart today. May we adore you, God. May we bless you. May we praise you in this place. May we offer you the sacrifice of our praise today, and may it be pleasing in your sight. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.